As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. Seated with Martin, who decided to sit at my right hand. I don't know if because the, the he wants everybody to know that he was honor. here first. Yeah. He was here first. To my left is Tanya and Paul. And the topic of our conversation today is what makes a great book great, which is one of those fun conversations that there are truer and falser answers to the question, but there's a lot of different ways to come at it. And so we're going to get into those ways. But before we do that, Martin, did you read anything fun over Christmas break? <laughs> what did I read over Christmas break? I, I, I know I read something, <laughs> but, but actually I saw a great movie. You did? A great Christmas movie, okay. which was Remember the Night mm. with Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. Preston Sturgis. Uh, yes, the director, Preston Sturgis. Um, and I, 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 I try to watch like one new old Christmas movie Ever Christmas, and this was the one I I watched this time, and there there really are so many great Christmas movies that you really some of which you haven't heard of, um. So I just really it, you know uh, this this great story of redemption, where, yeah. You know, uh, that uh, just a great Christmas uh, theme, and in in a sense, and hopefully we'll talk about this maybe some on some Christmas show, but about this this idea of of redemption and and seeing what what a what Christmas is really about, you know, sort of like like a Christmas Carol does. Sure. So keep that in the holster fifty weeks from now. I'm going, we're yeah, gonna, we're gonna come we'll back to it, it then, and I'll talk about it again. So Martin, actually, I wanted to tell you what I read over the break, which was the Old Man in the Sea. Yes, Baroness Hemingway, and I wanted to tell you about it because I imagine when I'm your age, um, when I get out, but, of the, but then, then this is the Old Man title. <laughs> when I get out in the, up in the morning and I don't have any motivation, I'll probably read that book. To like make me want to write another article or, and I kind of could see you doing that. You, you think so? You're flagging a little bit in stamina or energy and you're like, oh, I need to read Old I Man was the just sea. bragging about how I don't get <laughs> sick like all you young people and you're telling me. <laughs> Tony, what'd you read over the break? I'm, I fin- I read a British murder mystery by Peter Lovesy. He sets his books in Bath and I just love his, um, his detective character. I'm sure nobody's ever heard of him. And um, and I'm I'm rereading for I don't know how many times Pride and Prejudice oh. because to get ready for our little two days with Lita coming in to talk about that book and so and I'm just thoroughly enjoying it every time. Mm-hmm. Talk about what makes a great book. It's like, you know, it's the, a book that you can read over and over mm-hmm. and over, and it just never grows old. Kind of like my husband listens to let it be every oh. single time it comes on the radio like which he's been doing for what 40 years now sure <laughs> and it never <laughs> gets old he says that's great paul what about you i'm i'm impressed that you all had time to read at christmas i was trying to keep animals alive in the frigid cold and that then i had family 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 discipline first thing in the morning tell you what i was getting up and going and trying to make sure that everything everybody was still alive uh, um uh. so but because martin brought up movies i was gonna i was gonna say 
I convinced my whole family to watch the Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, no. <laughs> and my, but my, my recommendation, like when you were asking in that episode about, you know, interpretations that we'd seen of the Christmas Carol and that was the only one I'd watched and it was good. After having just read the book and then going to watch it, I was disappointed in a few spots. Oh, oh okay. really? Yeah. Like it, that, that scene that I just loved in the book about the, where Scrooge sees his nephew um, and they're all joking about him. Hmm. But it, but it is lighthearted. It is, it is, it, you, you could, by reading it, you could still see that Scrooge was welcomed. Right. Even, even if they were joking about him, but I, it does not come across that way in the, in the Christmas Carol. Mm. And so in, in the Muppets version. So I, there, there were some things like that that I was like, oh, bummer. There's like, it's like that in any movie. Except the Princess Bride. I have. I also watched that one over Christmas. It's phenomenal. Have you you read the book? I have, and it does. And the movie doesn't disappoint. No, it is. It is. It is as identical as identical can be between the two. I've never read the book or seen the movie. I think I may be. Oh, Mm. okay. You never. Oh, never. So you really like it? Just because we talked about it on some previous show. I think uh, so. I recorded it, and I'm I'm going to watch it. Are you going to watch it? I wanted to watch it with my wife. Recorded on VHS. <laughs> Probably, I'm thinking Next I'm going to read be it. Criticizing my track tapes. Why are you going to watch it instead of reading it? Uh, Princess Bride. Yes. Well, I didn't know that it was so close to the book. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had heard the movie. The movie is what I hear about because most mm-hmm. people have not read the book. That's right. So I didn't know how good the book was. He's saying that I'll lend it to you if you like. I I have a copy of that as well. Oh, I just think you should read it before you watch the movie. I, is that what you did? I haven't done either yet, but well, yes, then why that are you is what, telling me? Because that's what I'm going to do, and I just she always she said so authoritatively, and I thought there was some authority behind well, it. But it turns out there's not. We're book people, and that's the topic of our conversation. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Not we movies. Keep, we keep wrestling it over to movies. Yeah, <laughs> but we're, I'm going to bring it back to books. Please bring it back to books. Memoria Press invites your students to enter a world of truth and beauty found within the brushstrokes and handiwork of the great artists of the Western world. Join Kyle Yonke as he unlocks the works of more than 5,000 years of art history to explore how a classical history of art lays a foundation for the great artists of our future. A Classical History of Art, available now from Memoria Press. So part of our (laughs) mission at Memoria Press is to impart an education that gives students exposure to the great conversation. And that great conversation is most often found in great books. And so we also are choosing great books, not, you know, our students aren't reading 50 average books in their class. They're usually reading three or four great books. Um, And this is preparing them for a life of reading great books. But to really do that well, people have to know what is a great book. We're using this very, you know, subjective adjective. Great. Mm. What makes a great book? Great. Martin. (laughs) Uh, well, let's see. Um, I think for one thing, a great book, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw out one thing because I'll think, I'll think of more as we, as we further the the discussion. I think one of the, one of the chief criteria for a great book is that it is, it deals with some universal issue. Some, something that every human being, and no matter what circumstance they're in, uh, that, that, that it's relevant to them. So uh, I'll just throw that one out as the, as the first 
of the criteria. Name some of the universal themes that come to mind that as you've been reading a book, you've seen that book kind of start to illustrate this universal theme or discuss it in a way you hadn't seen before. And that made you think this is a great book. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll of course take a big, uh, big picture uh, of this. Uh, so for example, in Greek literature, and I think that different cultures in the Western tradition have, have emphasized different universal themes. So in, um, it, for the Greeks, if you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, um, the two things you see sort of stressed are strength and intelligence, uh, particularly in the Iliad where Achilles, the hero, it's, it's, it's this, it's strength is, is really the, the theme there. Whereas in the Odyssey with Odysseus, uh, Odysseus of many wiles, he's, he, he defeats his enemies, not through strength in battle, but through intelligence. He outsmarts his enemies. So those are the two great ideals in Greek culture. You see those embodied in, in those books. In, in Roman literature, uh, what you see is order and piety. Those are the two Roman virtues, we could say. And there was, so those are the two themes they stress. Uh, order in society, you know, they, they ran the world for a thousand years in a way that the Greeks never could because they, they d- didn't have that. That wasn't the emphasis with the Greeks. Um, and then piety, which is the order of the soul. And, uh, and you see that in the whole um, Roman attitude toward, uh, toward family and practical virtue. You know, the Roman philosophers, um, uh, you know, Stoicism was quite popular then. Uh, what you do in an everyday situation, not some theoretical what is the good, but what, it, what is it to be good right here and now? So, so for them, it was order and piety. And then for Christianity, it was, um, it was reason and faith, I think, were the two great virtues. And so you see those in, in a lot of the great works uh, in the Christian. Tanya, same question to you. What makes a great book great? Well, I totally agree with Martin. I think universal universality is the has to be the main thing. But and that is, and I've noticed just in my rereading of Pride and Prejudice, her characters are so real and they are so consistent throughout the entire book. And so I think besides just theme, there are other things like characters, and there are so many, so many themes that start. When they're, you know, when kids are reading picture books, Pride Before a Fall, and um, my mind is blank. Uh, I have a list of them. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to read them all. The list but, of things that you But I mean, there are servant book. leadership. Oh, no, this is just a list in. of, yes. I mean, there's yeah. so greed, friendship, community. They're all through literature that I think that has to be part of it. For me, and this is just me, this is only what I need in a book. To make it a great book for me, I need redemption. Hmm. I need... That was your issue with Wuthering Heights. My issue with Wuthering Heights and my issue with The Great Gatsby. I just don't see any characters with redemption in either of those books. Do you think there's... You like Wuthering Heights. I do like Wuthering Heights, but I also do think there's redemption. And that's what my question to you is... To maybe say it's not just you, is there a case to be made that non-redemptive stories don't fully reveal, you know, illustrate 
the human condition. That a, yes, I do believe that's true. That's why I think it's just a personal issue that I have, that I need redemption. I need to experience redemption in the books that I read. But I absolutely think that not having redemption also teaches. Yeah, I think I think there's a case to be made, though, that a book is better that includes themes of redemption. I agree. Because it's more true to our well, that's human experience. an innate human need yeah. and th- therefore universal. So we need to talk about Wuthering Heights and how you see redemption. I when think I we've don't talked about that on the podcast yeah. before, haven't we? I don't think we've actually... No, redemption is a universal theme, but it's not the only universal theme. No, I it's mean, not. You do but have it's tragedy just, no. where the high are brought low. That's and, right. So. But even then, I feel like you see redemption somewhere. Usually when the high are brought low, there is some character then who was low that is raised up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this juxtaposition. Or that is given a future opportunity where there could be that kind of redemption. Which is, again, I mean, this is good at good versus evil, right? This is Star Wars and... Well, and... What else? And I, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, everything. There are these universal <laughs> themes, and one of them is justice. Justice, and, 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 You know, to each his due. So to the good, the good, and to the evil, the evil. So, right. so not everybody's redeemed but, in a just story. Right? But don't you think, too, that the characters have to be universal, too? They have to be people that we can still relate to now? I, I don't think every every character has to be... Um, you don't have to be able to sort of fully identify with them, but there has to be some aspect of them. And if you're dealing with a universal theme, that character is going to have some sort of universal aspect, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, Hector and his love for his wife, right. Mm -hmm. Or something that could make you go, well, I can never put myself in Hector's shoes because I've never, never been in a military, Mm -hmm. you know, situation. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a prince of a, of, of a, of a family whose, you know, brother went and, you know, stole another guy's wife. Like let's, let's, <laughs> you know, but I can identify with him because he's got that wife and child that is leaving for some higher purpose. Well, and we can even identify with, with characters that don't, that aren't heroic like Hector. Mm-hmm. We can identify with them too and with their weaknesses. And I'm not saying that we don't, that we shouldn't have, characters who have mostly negative attributes or all negative attributes at all. But I do think the characterization has to be based on what we know of humanity Mm -hmm. in order to work. Or otherwise, yeah, the character just doesn't work. Which which leads to maybe my question to both of you, as you've both gone towards universality, universal themes, Mm -hmm. the universality of characters as central the answer of the question, what makes a great book great? There are certain, the counter would be, there are certain documents, say the Federalist Papers, that are deep, thorough discussions of universal themes like freedom. Mm-hmm. But I think King Lear, the play, is a, is a greater book mm-hmm. than the Federalist Papers. Are there, is there anything in addition to universality that a book needs to be great? Or could I just this afternoon write an essay on friendship and it'd be a great book. Well, there you're going into why, you know, what rather than just a great book, but why does fiction work so well Mm. to do 
things that the Federalist Papers on right. a dry reading would not do. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, but to your point, that's the question is, in the definition of great books, are we talking about, does does the term great books innately require that it be fiction? Mm. Or, because I think you would, and Martin, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think if you are including nonfiction there, we're talking about the great ideas more than the great books. Mm. And the great books would tend to be more fiction. Well, now, I would also say that a great book has to somehow has to have both uh, truth and meaning and prose writing is better fitted to communicate truth whereas uh, fictional writing a story is better at uh, showing you the meaning of something that's what and a story I does. think too and this may be a bad example but I think um, Augustine's City of God is very difficult to read mm. Um, and, and there, you know, he has that just war theme in there. And I think if we get to the point where we can read that, it is absolutely going to be edifying to us. But I think for young students and for people not ready to read Augustine, the Iliad teach, teaches the same, you know, it, it brings up the same question. Is this a just war? And so I think fiction can do what the great ideas i mean maybe that's maybe that has to be part of it is not just universality but but does it do does a book to be great have to include the great ideas yeah perhaps but I'm looking all, at you. When, wouldn't um, you say that the that the city of god is a great book i absolutely would yes so therefore it doesn't have to be fiction correct right i think we just i'm maybe so, i'm the one that so are the Federalist Papers a great book? You know, I haven't read them exhaustively. Or maybe, maybe we say that they're not, the fact that they're would, not fiction doesn't automatically disqualify them. Right. As we and yet answer we, this question. And yet you could say, I don't know, what was the, the, the fiction book that you put next to it in Federalist Papers? Uh, King Lear. And King Lear, maybe you could say that King Lear is a greater book because it has more meaning, according to Martin, but you could still put the Federalist Papers in the pile of great books. And you could ask what makes City of God a great book. Part of it is, at least, is its historical importance, right? Mm -hmm. um, because of its development of the idea of just war theory from a Christian worldview, because of its documentation of the fall of the Roman Empire from a Christian perspective. Um, these are things, its historical importance seems to be a part of its greatness, right? Yeah, I think so. It's relevance. Well, you, <clears throat> do you mean it's relevance to its time? It's relevance to this time because yeah. of its relevance to that time. Right. Well, I, I, but I, you're also getting to its persistence, mm. right? So it can be historically important because of the effect it had at that time, but not actually persist to this day because it's not universal, right? right. Which means, but, yeah, which... but that, but that universality should make it persist. And it's something where people go back over the centuries and read it again and again and again. And, and this is a harder road to hoe for prose actually than fiction, mm -hmm. because I think fiction you know, it's it's dealing with these fundamental situations which are always with us. And not that the Federalist Papers, for example, isn't relevant. I think it's really relevant right now because people are forgetting what a republic is and think that we live in a, a pure democracy of some kind. But are they relevant in, <clears throat> in countries other than America? Uh, I think that that's what, uh, I think that that's what um, Aristotle would argue. I mean, in, in the context of, 
political discourse, sure. Mm-hmm. So it's a good question. I think what to restate Tanya's question is, were the Federalist Papers written in such a way that they commented on universal themes well enough that someone who has nothing to do with political, the political system of America should read them. Well, but, Are but they on, that great on. of a book? But some great books, you need the historical background to understand what's going on, right? So to, to, to ask the question about the Federalist Papers in saying somebody who knows nothing about American history, would it speak to them? No, like because, you know, if you don't know Napoleonic era Russia, war and peace is going to mean very little to you, mm. right? And so I think, I don't think your question is fair, but, um, but I think the question of given a knowledge of the historical context somebody completely removed from that historical context, given that they know it, would there still be universal themes in the Federalist Papers that's worth discussing? Mm. But would a book be greater if knowledge of the historical context is less important? So for instance, limited historical context is necessary to read the Iliad or the Odyssey because a lot of it is fictional, correct? And so, uh, but, uh, it, but it's still a great book. I, I agree with that. I and that re- I, speaks to its universality. I don't know. I think there's I think there's assumptions about, I mean, because we have to do a lot of training to get kids ready to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, they're not going into it without, and we recommend this for adults too. You don't go into it without already knowing the background storyline and already knowing the historical context and the, and the culture, right? Because you've got gods and goddesses flying all over the place, making decisions that <laughs> if you don't know Greek mythology, you're shot. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also have to, to think about who the, you know, there's there's books that sort of telescope, <clears throat> excuse me, telescope things down because they're they're trying to reach a particular audience, right? Whereas other books don't. I don't think the Iliad and the Odyssey do that. They're speaking, you know, intentionally more broadly. But yet there are there are still um, themes about uh, a good government and, and the 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 uh, the common good and that sort of thing in the Federalist Papers. But it's being written to farmers in upstate New York trying to convince them. <laughs> that this is how we should structure our government. So it, it does have some particularity mm-hmm. there, but it still is it still has universal themes in it. So Paul, oh, Tony, go ahead. Um, so back to Paul's point, I do think, I do think that the reading of the Iliad would, is definitely a richer more meaningful read once we've done the hard work of prepping students. But I also think you can read things and not have that background and still enjoy the story. You're just not going to get what you could get out of it. So I think that even if you're not prepared to read a great book or a good book, a book worthy of reading, that it's still worth reading the reason I say this is because I also started Orthodoxy. I am struggling with that book. There are so many references <laughs> to things I don't understand, mm-hmm. to people I have no idea who they are, mm-hmm. that I am really struggling. Mm-hmm. But And I'm thinking, is it worth reading? Because everybody says it is. Um, well, definitely but no repair I'm text. struggling with it. But, but, but that's a good point. But, right? it, but that, I'm still going to get some things out of it, just not what I would if right, I were really prepared right. to and, read and it. And people could end up in paralysis thinking, well, I can't read that until I've done I'm all this ready. other stuff. And I can't read mm-hmm. that because I've got to read all this other stuff. And no, it is worth reading, but 
I, I was just challenging the the assertion of being sort of well, and completely that was, historically inaccurate. Uh, yeah, that un, was a good aware. Yeah, that was a good point to bring up. Is because the things we're talking about, the books we're talking about, are difficult. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, and and um and and again, I think this is more of a problem with prose. Is that you know your problem that you're having with orthodoxy, orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. because Chesterton's a journalist. He's writing to everyday people about everyday things, but what makes it great, what makes a book like Orthodoxy great, is that it relates time to eternity. Mm-hmm. But he is speaking to a particular time. Yes, that's that's very evident. It is, and I think what do I, what should I do to prepare myself to really to be able to read it? And because I feel like I'm halfway wasting my time. Mm-hmm. And it's harder in a story to just you would address something you know, so narrowly from universal ideal, uh, s- stories tend to worry. But but in, in prose, that's more of a problem. Mm-hmm. It's You do have things that are time-bound in some way, um, and yet right. they, are, they are bringing those eternal values and eternal themes into the situation. So, Paul, we've answered the question talking about the universality of themes mm-hmm. that great books possess, the universal characters that they usually contain. Um whether fiction or nonfiction, they address universal themes. Um, oftentimes we think of historically important and persistent books as great. I haven't asked you directly yet the question, what makes a great book great? Anything else you want to add? Only took us 30 minutes to get to me. Um, I think, so I've been, I was listening to a show and they were talking about kids and kind of their experience with their kids. And one of the guys made a comment and he was quoting somebody else. And I felt that I mean, and we kind of we say this sometimes, but he said the idea of raising kids is is uh, that's that's kind of the wrong phraseology. We should be saying we're raising adults, and so in the context of the great books, I was thinking about this: like a, a book to be great, I think needs to be inviting us. I, I think. I want to say it's going to be something that an adult would appreciate. So, but, but it makes me think about like make way for ducklings or the little house, right? I love the little house. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, I hold on. Uh, maybe I just, it's a phenomenal it's, book. And it has, it has the universal theme. It absolutely has a universal theme in it. It leads you straight to Anna Karenina. <laughs> it did. It did lead me straight to Anna Karenina. But what? Where? But it's written to a child, but it has that appeal to an adult. So that goes back to that universality. But I think there's there are there are probably, and and I haven't come up with some, but just thinking about books that may deal with some universal themes. Um, I don't want to bring that book up but is not just is not pushing the reader towards their full human potential and is calling them to be that mature person, if that makes sense. So like books of entertainment, books, books of entertainment that entertain you. And, and maybe, maybe there is some, some issues of justice in there. Right. But the major thrust of that book mm-hmm. is entertainment. Right. Um, and so just because you can pull up something, um, say the hunger games, right. And say they're dealing with injustice, right. There's this, there's this, you know, uh, tyrannical government that's making kids fight each other to the death. 
right? And so this is rebellion against injustice. Yeah, but it's not written in a way that invites us to contemplate truth, right? Um, talking about truth and meaning, right? So that's where I, I think there is, and it's, it's, it's sort of, for me, is very intangible. And I've kind of been thinking about this for 30 minutes. You waited to ask me the question. <laughs> how do I, you know, how do we quantify that or how do we characterize it? I don't know. I think what you're talking about is, is kind of the last piece that I, I had been thinking about. We had to talk about and that is quality. Yes. A book has to actually be good to be great. I wrote it down has to do elevated something, language. It had to, has to do something uh, great and to do it greatly. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, um, uh, there, there are good things to do. And there are good ways to do them, and those kind of have to go together. But we also recognize that there is sort of an ideal or there's an elevation that we have to conform ourselves to, right? So I tried, and so I I need to, I I told Shane this the other day. I was looking for a book to listen to while I was out and about doing stuff. And I said, you know what? Shane's been reading The Beautiful and Damned. I'm going to try it. Mm. Which is Fitzgerald. Yeah. And so I... And, you know, and Shane has said this multiple times on this podcast, he's got this rewind rule that if he, if he doesn't get it, he goes back to it. And I start listening to this and first 30 minutes, like I'm engaged next 30 minutes, something happens. I'm not fully engaged. And I said, you know what? I'm not going back. I'm going to break Shane's rule. I'm going to keep going. So foolish. See if I can get back on track. (laughs) And I went about another hour and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Absolutely no idea. Um, But in that, I thought, this doesn't mean it's not a great book because I got to go back and start from the beginning again. That's right. Th- that it, I don't, I don't, I don't have a natural affinity to understand concepts in the way Fitzgerald puts them. Right. <clears throat> but it is worth me sitting there again and trying to, trying to understand it because there's probably something worthwhile there. Well, like I don't really enjoy Hemingway. But he is a beautiful writer. Mm. I just don't really relate to his characters well. Um, he seems, everything seems kind of dark to mm. me, but he is a beautiful writer. And I've said before, you know, I'm not a big Tolkien fan, but you talk about mastery of the sentence. Mm. It's just be- worth reading for that. And that I think that's got to be a part of it. Yeah, what other ele- uh, uh, literary elements aside from prose and, and mastery of of words and elocution and then you've also mentioned characters what other elements make the great books I'm thinking i don't know plot what are the other things that in terms of the structure of great books can potentially make them great well of course again it's going to differ in prose and it's going to differ in fiction uh in fiction you know there are there's there are elements in a fictional uh story that you have to have right. And we know what those are, you know, plot, uh, character, setting, uh, setting, uh, theme, style. I mean, those are, those are pretty much set and you can judge any good work, narrative work uh, using those. Um, and, uh, and I, I think that to me, I use as a, as somebody who writes prose, I don't understand how a person writes a story and does it so compellingly. Mm. Uh, but, but people who have that gift, and there's some people who are not thinking about plot and character and setting, they just write a story. They're just storytellers. They're natural storytellers. And I think the best writers 
uh, of fiction are storytellers. And that story, whatever they're thinking about great ideas and universal meanings, so that if it's a good story, I've been thinking about a lot about this lately. That we 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 want we we always look for something other than a good story, as if a good story is not in and of itself enough. Mm. And and I I think there's something about the narrative structure and what it confers upon the things it's talking about uh, that again is what gives it meaning. So was why fiction is is the the thing most appropriate to meaning giving. Um, and uh, and. I, you know, some people just, I, I think that's more pros. I think you can learn to do well, even if you're not a natural, but, but storytelling is, I think much harder to do uh, if you don't have the natural gift for it. And I think that's the key. I do think it's a nat. I think it is a muse just like mm-hmm. being a, an artist or a composer or a gifted musician. I just think, People are gifted writers, and they and the, that is a God-given gift. I do think people can learn to write, but mm-hmm. I think there are writers who are gifted, and there's no way that I could sit beside them and produce what they produce because I don't have that gift in the same way I couldn't play you know, I played piano for three years and it was just a total failure. And my mother was finally like, okay, I'm going to stop. Let's put us all out of our misery here. I mean, it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So let me put you all on the spot as I always do. And let's end by thinking about our curriculum and the books that we've chosen for the Memorial Press Literature Sequence. To lesser and greater degrees, they are all great books. Is there one particular book in our sequence that you can think about that you would say is great and tell me why. And let me start. <laughs> um, I'll start by talking about a book that I've taught in our sequence, The Scarlet Letter. I think that The Scarlet Letter is great on a few levels. I think one, Hawthorne is a genius as a writer. I think he is deeply humorous in the way that he uses language. The actual sentences themselves are dripping with irony mm. and sarcasm and they, they're clever and they... Every sentence makes me want to read the next sentence. I've always loved Hawthorne's actual writing ability, and I think that's a part of his significance. I think that's one. I think second, he is a genius of symbolism, and it's a little on the nose in The Scarlet Letter, but he is writing from a time period removed from Puritan culture, commenting on it in ways that subvert it and show its importance for American culture. And so there's a level of universality to his thinking about the ideas um, of his time and place and that it's very particular and that it's very New England, but it's universal and that it comments on the human condition of guilt and redemption. That's the reason our students read Scarlet Letter is because they need to experience that so they go on to read other great American literature. Your turn. You're both looking at me. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a particular book in our... Uh, Every time I try, try to think of a particular book in our uh, offerings, I, I can't think of one in particular. I mean, I'll just take one at random. Um, the Moffats. Yeah. Uh, th- there's something about children's literature, which th- there's a sort of magic. That, I, 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 I'd call it the magic of the ordinary, uh, where for some reason 
the words you use almost act like an incantation to 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 bring out of this ordinary experience something really magical and meaningful. Mm. And there's very few writers who can do that well. Um, I think um, uh, E.B. White is able to do mm. this really well. But Eleanor Estes, uh, who wrote The Moffats, she does this really well. There's just something magical about these ordinary stories, about these ordinary children living in an ordinary neighborhood in, in, in an ordinary time. I'll yes. just throw that in there too. Uh, that that uh, just evokes something. It's hard to explain, but you know it if you've read it. Hmm. You know it if you've seen it. And so I'll just I'll just throw that one out. And again, one. we we have uh, um, Charlotte's Web by E. B. White, and as same thing. There's there's writers like that who you can read the first paragraph and you know you're in the hands of a master. Hmm. And those are those are two two of two of them. I think. Well, I was going to say Charlotte's Web, okay, <laughs> but I won't. I will switch to Anne of Green Gables, mm-hmm. um, and I think, of course, it's got all the same amazing themes that Charlotte's Web and the Moffats have. It's a community. It's you know people trying to live together, doing their best. It's you know Marilla who is who appears to, this is such a good lesson for children, who appears to be so rough and mean, mm. but, you know, as adults, we recognize Marilla's personality, but children don't. They have to learn that that roughness covers up uh, concern and sensitivity. Mm. And, you know, it's just the characters are just so good. Um, it's sad, but it's it also has so much redemption, you know, and giving up. I mean, who that to have a book where, you know, you want in when you're 12, you want everything to have a perfect ending. Right. And and it doesn't. You know, she has to give up her college plans to come home and take care of Marilla. And it's it's just beautiful. And and it is universal because we haven't talked about gender. Anne of Green Gables appears to be a book for girls, but it's not. It's a book for everybody. Little House in the Big Woods is a book for everybody. Farmer Boy is a book for girls. Um, you know, there that has to be part of it too. Absolutely. Did Martin steal your book? Too? No, no, he didn't. And you, it's interesting because both of you. Uh, so Martin talking about the ordinary, and even Anne of Green Gables, right? It's friendship. It's community. Um, it's it's family. Yes. And I was thinking of Treasure Island, mm-hmm. and the reason, and and as I was kind of thinking about it, I thought the, the for one, he's he, he's a great storyteller. It just it pulls you in, and you That's just right. want to know what's going to happen next. Great characters, great characters, mm-hmm. but also fairly far removed from most people's experience. Right? right? When was the last time you had pirates stay at your house and you got <laughs> you ended up on a? On it's a, been weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one thing it really makes you do is go what would I do in this situation? Right. Because you've got Jim and he's just, he's doing his best to make upright decisions, but save his own life. Right. And you know, so, okay, what, what would you do? And I think it, it, a great book is going to, is going to cause a question to arise that you have to ponder. Mm. That's great. Those are all great books. But you know, we could talk like this about every single book. We in sure could. Mm. I was going to go for Anna Karenina, but I felt like that was just an easy, so that's, that's easy. That's low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit, yeah. 
You're right. Because we filled our curriculum with great books. Mm -hmm. Thanks for definitively deciding with me at this table during this discussion what a great book is. (laughs) Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.